Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. Hi. Matt and I are always looking for fresh movie matchups. It's something I tell him quite often. So if you've got a matchup you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at matchcutpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at matchcut. So Matt, what Mm. kind of movies and stories have you been getting into this week? So uh, with some friends and my parents, I watched the new Tom Tom Hanks joint Greyhound. Ah, the thanks. Yeah, T T Hanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks for the movie, Tom Hanks. It was it's a nice, enjoyable, not overly uh, serious, but not like funny, silly uh, World War II film about the Atlantic crossing and like the wolf packs and sub hunting. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you're starved for content in the hellscape that has become our existence. <laughs> Yeah, no no thanks, Tom Hanks, for only putting it on one streaming platform. He is actually upset about that. He wanted it to get a oh, theater okay. release and didn't like that it was only going to a singular streaming service. Yeah. And since since you brought that up, like the thing that really bugs me is Apple put their greasy, smelly, like an Apple... Uh, plus production on it it's like you did nothing but buy exclusivity rights how dare you put a credit for yourself (laughs) on this they they bought the gold tier sponsorship package and so they get to put their name in the credits or they they got all of tom hanks gamer girl bathwater yeah actually only only tom hanks Tom Hanks is, is so pure that he could get away with it. He gets a pass. I would trust Tom Hanks' bathwater more than I trust my Brita. <laughs> <laughs> His bathwater probably goes through a Brita anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> and then uh, I've also been uh, trying to write some more. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, writing a... Uh, a story set in like a fictional version of a golden age of the sale about like pirates fighting uh, empires and a giant monster that's going to come and destroy everything if they don't stop it. The classic BBEG big bad evil guy. Yeah. But I mean, the monster is more like a force of nature. It's not evil yeah. or good. It just is. So They're- you're saying the ship insurance company is not going to cover this. Probably not. It's an act <laughs> of the serpent, and so yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't pay out on that. <laughs> but uh, if I was a better writer, I would have written more than four pages already. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's everyone's got four pages done at one point or another. Stephen King just progresses on to five, six, three hundred faster than anyone else. That is true. Like, yeah. Uh, that's the one thing that I get uh, get in my head about is like just two in my head and not like going for it and like worrying mm-hmm. about the X, Y, and Z and like what if it's not any good? Like the whole impetus for me starting to write was because like I've literally read things worse than some of my own writing that have been <laughs> yeah. published authors that got paid to do it. <laughs> it's like, fuck, man, if I could at least just put out one book. Just mm-hmm. one book, just one. I yeah. like maybe get a small publishing deal. Like this is 
this is a years long process in my head, obviously. Like I would be like, Hey, at least I did something better than that fucking schmuck. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. I, I need to, I need to motivate myself with more spite. I want to (laughs) write this book faster than George R. Martin will put out another book that he's been (laughs) writing for decades. Fuck that guy. <laughs> the sequel to Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Can You Write Faster Than George R.R. R. Martin? Oh, dude, that <laughs> that would be a good blog to do. Like find writers that like, you know, went through their whole process and you just get as many posts in before George R.R. R. Martin puts out another <laughs> A Song of Ice and Fire book. Like a, uh, like a game jam, but for books, a, a book jam. Yeah. Yeah, I I get what you mean, though. I get caught up a lot in like, oh, you know, what's the final product going to be like? Like, am I even good enough? Like, I'll give up, you know, very early on. It's just like, ah, uh, it's not going to be like, you know, New York Times bestseller. Why even try? And it's just like a lot of things that have helped me recently is just like, hey, you don't have to do 100% of something today. You know, if you get up and you do 10% of something, it's better than 0%. You know, if you walk... If your goal is to walk five miles and you walk a mile, you still did more than zero. So yeah, that's one. That's one fifth of your goal. That's a lot. Yeah, you've started too, which is like the hardest part. Now, now it's getting past my own ennui about am I good enough writer to write this story now? Ennui <laughs> <laughs> so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> that doomer boomer juice. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I've been uh, getting into uh, Death Stranding, Hideo Kojima's latest video game. Ah, uh, yes. The, the, the Hyde Kojima. <laughs> yeah. Very much known for his nuance, subtlety, and, um, you know, really, really uh, subversive themes that, like, take forever to, you know, like, Oh, like, oh, you look back and you realize, man, that's the message he was going for. Oh, nuclear bombs are bad. Oh, 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 we really messed up, didn't we? (laughs) Wait, sacrificing your soldiers for political stability isn't sustainable. (laughs) What? Uh, So, yeah, you know, there's there's some real like non subtle. Uh, symbolism in that game uh, like basically the equivalent in future cell phones are just a literal pair of handcuffs I mean which, I guarantee I guarantee you you could sell that to someone nowadays yeah bluetooth handcuffs that'll let you uh you know just answer your phone by putting your wrist up there no one calls anymore that wouldn't sell oh you gotta shit, be able right. to reply to texts dick tracy watch that has like Basically, I'm creating the game and watch again, but now it's a cell phone. <laughs> and you can't take it off. There you go. <laughs> if you take it off, you void the warranty and you incur a fine of a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's been that's been interesting to play alongside like control, which I think has a very like intelligent, but also everyman version of like symbolism. Mm-hmm. Where it's it's not too like auteur and fart sniffy and like you know it's not like way out there, but it's still like it's still got a couple layers to it that you can you can unpack 
And kind of that next to Death Stranding at the same time has been interesting. Yeah, I, I get a sense that Kojima, A, he's a lot like David Cage and that he just wants to make a movie. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. unlike David Cage, he's not a complete hack and knows how to make compelling games without relying on racist stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. Both have both have the wield the same club of symbolism though. Yeah, but like <laughs> I think at the end of the day, the Metal Gear Solid games that Kojima has made have a, a, a more lasting impact than something like a David Cage game. Yeah. Yeah, in definitely. terms of even like an actual message put out into the world and like, you know, getting you to think critically about things. Like I remember, you know, playing those games when I was a lot younger and kind of barely grasping at the concepts, but still realizing like, shit, man, nukes are bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is, is the difference in gameplay where David Cage hews closer to just like a movie that you can slightly interact with. Kojima goes deep and like Metal Gear Solid 5 was one of the best like stealth games I've ever played. Mm-hmm. And as far as walking simulators go, like, you know, Death Stranding is up there as, you know, one <laughs> tri- of the best. A triple A walking simulator. <laughs> uh, yeah. That looks gorgeous. And you get to play as Norman Reedus with his baby fetus. Mm hmm. <laughs> it's a stack boxes on your back for proper weight distribution. <laughs> Or just hit the auto stack button because I've had enough of that game's bullshit already. How much does it remind <laughs> you of your actual job? Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to handle. <laughs> but uh, as far as movies go, um, there was a, a, a post on Twitter uh, a couple months, maybe a month ago, probably start of the start of the pandemic. I think is when people got bored enough to make this happen <laughs> where uh, someone spliced together every scene in the uh, Marvel Avengers uh, universe into one like 42 hour film or something where it just goes through all, all the scenes in chronological order. So I've started watching that and like the beginning is a lot of Thor, but then it pretty much just goes into Captain America. So like as far as I got into it, it's just kind of the opening of Captain America which is uh, probably my favorite Avengers film um, because I, I, you know, the same ideals that like Captain America holds dear, you know, like America is inherently good and, and the people are what matter. And, you know, the right guy with the right heart and the right frame of mind, you know, given enormous responsibility can can do good and resist the corrupting influence of like ultimate power. And, yeah. You know, it's and, extra pertinent nowadays. Definitely. <laughs> and nice um, to dive back into that world where nothing truly ever goes super wrong. Well, until you get to Captain America winter soldier and you realize a lot of things <laughs> have gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but that's what's great and like kind of sad now that the you know Infinity Saga is over and Chris Evans is retired as Captain America is mm-hmm. there's a level of sincerity and and just weight that he brought to the role that like it's going to be hard shoes to fill and a hard shield to throw <laughs> without him. Yeah, like you know the, the the training he went into to get the body that like you know Amer- Captain America would have this body. I'm not taking any shortcuts, kind of thing. Yeah. 
well, no more than the movie industry forces you to take, but I get what I get. I take your meaning. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be a real shame not having Chris Evans play Captain America because like, you know, that first movie, you know, you believe, he, you believe even when he's the skinny, skinny little Steve Rogers, you believe him. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's a very genuine and heartfelt performance and God bless that man and his glorious pecs. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Trey Magnifique. What even like a four of the fantastic? <laughs> like a, a, a Johnny Storm? <laughs> a perfect Johnny Storm of physique and attitude. That's what they should do. They should hire him on as Johnny Storm. And <laughs> like it should just be Chris Evans again, and everyone should like look at him for a second and then say nothing. <laughs> Flame on, Chris Evans. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, speaking of World War II and Nazis, uh, <laughs> we've got a we've got a heck of a matchup this week. Uh, this episode's matchup is about the importance of vetting sources, the casual pervasiveness of sexual assault, and the importance of good record keeping. So get out your Swedish to English dictionary, your favorite Bible, and your tattoo gun. It's time for two girls with the dragon tattoos. The girls with the dragon tattooses. <laughs> yeah. I I struggled with how to title this episode and it's the girls with the dragon tattoos is excellent. Uh, so how did you experience these movies uh, before watching them for the podcast? So back when, you know, bookstores were a thing uh, where I lived and uh, I would go to a bookstore. I used to like, you would walk by like, Oh, you know, bestsellers. And it was like the girl, with the dragon tattoo, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, the girl who played with fire and all that. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. Those weird and like young, young girl novels and all that. And then like, right. you know, they got more and more buzz. And then I saw the, the covers change to the movie, the movie, uh, poster covers. Super annoying, but yeah. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, they're, they're movies, I guess. And I had like heard a little bit more about them. It's like, oh, it's not a young adult book. Oh, okay. I'm more interested in it now. And then like they all popped up on Netflix and I'm like, I got nothing better to do. I hear good things. So I watched it and I very quickly watched the other two in rapid succession. Yeah. Yeah. That, that actually reminds me. I also thought that they were like young adult fiction. Cause I think like, you know, that was a time for a lot of young adult fiction, like the Hunger Games and and uh, Twilight and those kind of things coming out. So it's like you title a book like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's like, OK, yeah, I got a pretty good idea of what that's about. But then I heard the movies were a little darker and I just was never like really in the mood for that or not that the movies were darker than the books. But the things I heard about the movies were like, oh, no, this is actually like real dark. And I just never got into it, but I've watched them now. And I think uh, I definitely want to watch the uh, sequels, but also there's like a TV mini series that they did like alongside the movies, Wait, the really? Swedish version. Yeah. Does it have and, all the same people? Yeah. It's the same people, except it's, it's like a longer, uh, I think like the first it's, it's like 520 minutes total, which is, uh, you know, almost six hours or almost 10 hours. Um, I haven't like really looked into a ton of it, but yeah, same actors, same directors for like the parts and, uh, like longer form version of all of it. 
Yeah. Okay. Huh. But early on, didn't watch him. My first time with with both of these. My first time with the story, you know, w- was watching these two movies. But besides being linked by their IMDb scores, these movies are also separated by two degrees of separation. Rooney Mara was in Side Effects with Jude Law, and then Jude Law was in Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadow with Numi Rapace. Well, don't that just beat all. <laughs> Who played Madame Sisma Heron. Heron. Heroin. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> That's a wrap. Pack it up, folks. We're out of here. Bake it away, toys. <laughs> Both movies are rated a solid 7.8 on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the other. Let's find out right after this quick break. Welcome back. All right. So obviously these movies uh, are both based on the same book. Um, so we'll talk about the story first, and then we'll kind of break down into who they, who they cast and who helmed these movies. So after Michael Bloomquist loses a libel case against corrupt industrialist Hans Eric Wennerstrom, he receives a mysterious summons from Henrik Wagner. Wagner is haunted by the disappearance and suspected murder of his niece nearly 40 years ago, so he hires Blomquist to put his investigative journalistic talents towards solving the cold case. After hitting several dead ends early on in the case, Blomquist is contacted by Elizabeth Salander, a talented asocial computer hacker. Their investigation into the disappearance of the girl, however, will uncover a much darker family history. Involves Nazis. <laughs> it sure does. Nazis and murder. So, The Swedish Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a 2009 movie written by Nikolaj Arcel and Rasmus Heisterberg based on the book Monsum Hathor Vinor, or which translates directly to Men Who Hate Women. That is, the, by the way, the only Swedish pronunciation I've put any effort into getting right. <laughs> and none of them from here on out will be correct. So, Monsum Hathor Vinor, or... The girl with the dragon tattoo, as it was known in English-speaking countries, which I think uh, is a a, better title. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say a worse title. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, I think Men Who Hate Women is like compelling and doesn't sound like young adult fiction. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, that was by uh, Stig Larsson. Um, And this movie was directed by Niels Arden Oplev. Um, The girl with the dragon tattoo stars Michael Nyquist. Numi Rapace, Peter Haber, and Sven Bertolt Hobb. Uh, writers Nicolaj Arcel and Rasmus Heisterberg commonly wrote together and are both alumni of the European fin- Film College in Edeltoft, Denmark. They're both known for this movie as well as A Royal Affair and King's Game. However, Nicolaj Arcel also directed and co-wrote 2017's The Dark Tower, Don't a true it. masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, director Niels Arden Oplev is best known for this movie, as well as We Shall Overcome and Daniel, although maybe not outside of Denmark, and also directed the pilots for Under the Dome, FBI, and Mr. Robot. Two of those are good. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you which. You find out. Homework for next time. Um, apparently, he really enjoys making pilots because he's like, yeah, you get to dive into this world and then you don't have to do any of the hard work of making a TV <laughs> series. <laughs> Is that a direct quote? 
it's a it's a summarized quote, but the nice. sentiment is the same. Nice. <laughs> uh, would you like to do the American version? The American Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a 2011 film written by St- Steven Zillen and Stig Larsen gets a credit as well, directed by David Fincher, starring Daniel Craig, Rumi Mara, Christopher Palmer, S- Stellan Skarsgård, and Robin Wright. Writer Steve Zillen is best known for Schindler's List, A Civil Action, and Moneyball. Director David Fincher pretty much speaks for himself, but he's best known for Seven, Zodiac, Fight Club, and The Social Network. Indeed he is. So, two very similar stories. Two very dark, distressing Let's get it out of the way. Tales. Which, which one did you like better? <laughs> I thought we saved that for the end. Nah, nah. <laughs> give give the people what they want right away. I like the Swedish version better. It's interesting because while my original thoughts, having watched the original Swedish version and then hearing about the remake occurring, it's like, but there's really no point to that. It's like, it's modern enough. It's like, so just, you're just going to put it in English. That's it. Like, <laughs> However, now having seen the American version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I prefer it as a standalone movie more than the Swedish one. Gotcha. Yeah, it does. The way it like wraps up, definitely we're going to you know talk about all of it, but the way it wraps up kind of like putting a real period on um, Lisbeth and... Michael. And Michael's uh, relationship with that scene with the jacket. Thank you for the names. I totally brain farted. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it kind of puts a period on that. I don't know. Maybe suggests that they weren't confident about making a sequel and like wanted to have a, a ending with some finality to it. Because the way the Swedish version ends with like, hey, here's this next thing that we can yeah. go on to, you know, definitely is like, hey, this is like the first part of a trilogy. We're going to make that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did some some digging into it, and you found that the American version is actually closer to the book. Correct? Yeah, in some in some details, um, such as like in the Swedish version, Lisbeth is the one who decodes the Bible verses. In the American version, it's uh, Michael's daughter, who uh, which is more in line with the books. There are several things like that. Um, a lot of the stuff with like, um, Vanger saying like, Hey, help me and I'll give you this info. That's more true to the book. So nothing. I think that, that truly affected it. Both of them, interestingly, like vary a little bit in the, um, the death of, uh, gosh, who's the guy? (laughs) Martin. Uh, both of them vary a bit in the death of Martin, where in the book he uh, killed himself by driving head on into a, uh, a semi. I wanted to say Lori, but, you know, that's whatever. <laughs> what was someone named Lori doing in the middle of the road? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where the Swedish version, I mean, like, if we want to talk about this, I, I think, you know, Lisbeth, like, hunting the guy down and, like, having the opportunity to help him choosing to kill him, you know, in a way that mirrors, you know, some of her actions in the past with presumably her abusive father, you know, I think says something very different about the character as opposed to like the American version, which is like, 
you know, can I go kill him? And then like, she gets robbed of that opportunity because he like slides off into a, you know, convenient explosion. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's, uh, that's coming to mind though, is I think the original Swedish version was made as part of a trilogy. And that's why there's the, the five hours version of it or whatever is because they originally shot them like back to back. And mm-hmm. so they actually had all that footage done. They originally intended it to be all three. Yeah. Whereas the American version, they only got funding for this first one because at the time it was popular enough to, to get funding for it. Um, mm-hmm. I know the big reason that um, David Fincher wanted to do the project was because he wanted to do a true harder R than had been allowed in the past by studios. And so they're like, okay, we'll give you this amount of money, but you know, like it's not a lot comparatively <laughs> speaking to other, you know, other David Fincher films or other productions of the, of the time. Um, and I think that's interesting though, because you get actors that really want to be in a David Fincher movie, like mm-hmm. Daniel Craig specifically like wanted to be work with David Fincher. And so he had a break between filming bond movies that he hates to make. And, um, <laughs> David Fincher called him up and said, Hey, you want to work with me? And Daniel Craig said, okay. And he said, well, get fat. <laughs> Can do. <laughs> Man, I just got to <laughs> I got to sit around and eat pizza and ice cream all day. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is funny that he says that in interviews. Then you watch the film. It's like, you got a little bit of a belly, I guess, Daniel Craig, but you're still mm-hmm. Daniel Craig. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that, um, Michael Nyquist has a much more every man, like late thirties, early forties body. That's like, okay. Yeah. He looks like a normal dude. Yeah. Um, Some of the reading I did into like Stig Larson is he was this super like overworked, like subsisted on cigarettes and junk food, much in the way we see in like the American version of Lisbeth. There's a much like greater like attention to that. And, yeah, um, Michael Bloomquist was described as like oversexed, which was something that like Daniel Craig fits more into the role of, but like Michael Nyquist like still has that everyman appeal. It's interesting. Like you were like, saying and within the the movie in and of itself of like uh, Michael, were you saying Stig Larsson or Michael Michael Bloomquist? So, people imagine that because Stig Larsson was an investigative journalist, like he modeled. Michael Bloomquist after himself, but uh, he didn't like, it's just not him. And that was where I got the description that Michael Bloomquist as a character was oversexed. Yeah. And that's something that doesn't really seem to come through in the Swedish version, even though it doesn't shy away from the physical good and bad. Um, Whereas there, there's more overt connections with Michael Bloomquist played by Daniel Craig being a bit of a horn dog and sleeping around and being kind of a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I actually, I really enjoy the, the relationship a little bit more in the American version because it seems a little less out of nowhere mm-hmm. between Elizabeth and Michael. Um, there's, it, there's at least like one, are you sure about this? That's right. Uh, but the other thing is like you, there's a little more focus on solo Lisbeth in the, uh, in the American one, 
where she is like still checking up on him and like she has her opinions on him already. And it's like she has already scouted him as a potential partner. Mm-hmm. Like if the if the situation ever arose and it's like, I think that Rooney Mara does an, a fantastic job getting across something that there's probably a language barrier for in the Swedish one with uh, Naomi Rapace's uh, portrayal of Elizabeth Slander. Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 ant- the asocial antisocialness, the like her, like refusing to look at the eyes of people and all that and being like a lot more like, like twitchy and a little bit more like very clearly uncomfortable in these spaces. Like, that was done to yeah. greater detail. And I don't know if that's just because David Fincher is, you know, a master at like getting good performances <laughs> out of people or, yeah. you know, it's just something that comes across easier in Swedish. Right. And I, I think like one of the, one of the things that kind of took me out of the American version, which I agree is like David Fincher, like really brought something to the way that that atmosphere is, but Daniel Craig's like decision to not do a Swedish accent or go very, very light on it was kind of like a weird, I, I found it taking me out of the movie a lot. And I think like this, these events being set in Sweden is a, you know, inseparable part of this story. So, so what, like when I first heard of the American version, sorry to cut you off there a bit. No worries. Um, I thought that they were going to just, they were going to, they were going to take it to England. They were going to just turn it all into England and just change the names around. It really did also weird me out that Daniel Craig's character is Michael Blomquist and it's just Daniel Craig and he Mm -hmm. can do accents as as we know from, uh, I have eliminated no suspects (laughs) Uh, from knives out and Logan lucky and a few other uh, things here and there. But yeah, I always, I just, I headcanned it as he was maybe Swedish last name, but like English born and raised. Mm-hmm. And like, he just lived in Sweden because family brought him there, like because his failed marriage and, you know, his sister and all that. Yeah. That was, that, that was how I just <laughs> hand waved it. And like, because right. now that you bring it up, it's like, I can't actually reconcile that really. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bit odd and, and like, you know, hey, that's the actor's choice. If he thinks he's going to end up sounding like the Swedish chef, like, you know, don't do the accent. But yeah, like like you said, he's he's got a knack for accents, especially American accents, which I hear are some of the hardest for people to do. Um, So interesting choice. But yeah, like one of the things I was I was surprised with, with the Swedishness of this story is that like a dude gets guilty a guilty verdict and sentenced and they just like let him wander around for three months like before that's what happens when your criminal justice system isn't punitive and it's corrective yeah and then like of course in the uh in like the american version they never address his like jail sentence after he's kind of like gets the guilty verdict so i kind of think that they dropped that to a degree for the american one because like it's so weird mm-hmm. because like libel, like no one goes to jail for libel. Like I think that I vaguely think that they were, they turned it into a civil suit against 
uh, Millennium, the magazine mm. that Michael Blomkess works for, rather than a criminal case in Swedish law for printing fallacious mm. and and libelous uh, words. Yeah. And so the guy was using his money to bankrupt Millennium in both of them, in both movies. That is like actually what he's doing. But in the American version, they just kind of don't put a lot of emphasis on it because it, it doesn't need to go anywhere really. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing I liked in the, in the Swedish version um, is they use like very real equipment. Like, it's just a MacBook, you know, it's just like, and it doesn't make me feel like, oh, you know, where's the product placement? It's like, no, she's, you know, a photojournalist or not a photojournalist, but she takes a lot of photos. Like that's kind of the thing that you would use. And it's just real ass like Mac interfaces. And, and the hacking is where it gets like a little, you know, translated for movies. But yeah, I like um, that aspect of it. It does show up in both, but it felt like real in the in the Swedish version. Yeah, the Swedish version does feel more grounded for the most part. However, the the plot line where Michael Blomqvist spent summers at the Vanger estate as a kid and was looked after by the by uh the 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 Vanger that has disappeared like yeah. Who cares? We don't <laughs> need that personal thing. Like I think Dino like scene for scene the American version is more engaging visually and it's just more massively crafted. Whereas the Swedish one, well-made, uh, well-executed with the, the budget that they had, uh, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't feel as competent. And I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. to go against David Fincher and his director <laughs> of photography. And the big one where the American one just blows it out of the water is the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Is I mean, it's hard to argue when Nine Inch Nails is doing your soundtrack for you. <laughs> right. Yeah, I did notice the soundtrack in the Swedish version once, um, right when he was like staring into the eyes of, I think it was um, uh, Harriet. Is that the girl's name? Sure. Yeah. Cool. I got it. Harriet. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, the soundtrack stood out to me once when he's like looking into the eyes of Harriet and it like gets real intense and they do this zoom and it like it flashes into the negative like in her eyes and that like actually made me jump once as, a, as opposed to the American version where like the whole time I was, you know, kind of captivated by this by this soundtrack and really helped push the emotion along and I, I liked the um the American version, some of the scenes toward the end where like Daniel Craig is like sneaking around the house with this knife. Like, Oh yeah. The, the cat and mouse part at the very end is a lot more pronounced and it, it, it feels a lot more malicious and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think in, in that same way, like the Swedish version, like kind of chooses to blindside the character with it, where the American version is more of like everyone kind of knows or like suspects. It's one of those convert, like you're having a, a mildly innocent conversation that could go either way. And because you're trying to play it cool. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, he notices the knife is gone. Why don't you return my knife and, you know, leave the knife here. And- As he pulls out the, the gun. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I did like that really evil moment where he's like, 
why did you choose? Why did you come with me? You could have run. It's like, <laughs> and you can see kind of like the look on Daniel Craig's face, at least <laughs> in the, the, the American one where he's like, why did I come with him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we, you know, can't avoid talking about the uh, sexual abuse in this movie as it oh, is boy. such a central part of it. Um, I thought like the, the American version has, you know, a lot of impact, but for some reason that I, I've been thinking about for the past week, like the Swedish scenes of the sexual abuse, like hit harder for me. And maybe it was just cause I watched that movie first and wasn't totally expecting it, mm. but like that stuff was more impactful for me. And the most frustrating thing of that whole <laughs> sexual abuse and it's it's just like i wish it was harder to sexually abuse someone like i wish sexual assault wasn't just this like just result of this power dynamic like you just move into it it's like all right i have the power in this situation you're going to do exactly what i want and it like the guy doesn't like i'm talking about the um the public guardian yeah like he doesn't have to be coy about it it's just like all right you want money like you're going to have to do sexual favors for it like I hate that it's that easy and I know that's representative of what it is in some cases in, in real life. And that's just like the movie, like made me feel like really angry about it. Yeah. Um, I think they're both very effective. I remember being a very uncomfortable more so in, and I think it's because in other roles I've seen uh, Numi Rapace in, she is mm-hmm. very much an, an, a capable woman who can kick your ass. And mm-hmm. so it feels a little more like she's acting. Yeah. Whereas Rumi Mara is a bit of a waif, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And her screaming and thrashing around is super uncomfortable and raw. Yeah. Um, the thing I think I appreciate about the American version more is that first meeting with the new, uh, the new guardian, it feels more natural, like progression, like only when he thinks he can get away with this, does he do this? Whereas you don't even know she's a ward of the state in the Swedish version as it is theatrically mm-hmm. released. Um, cause I don't know about the more extended cut. Um, right you don't know she is until she's literally meeting her new guardian because the old ones had a brain aneurysm or whatever. Yeah. And it never, it never touches back on that again, where that actually becomes a kind of a B storyline for Lisbeth is she originally was going to meet with the, the guardian and they play chess together and she bought him a chess book because it's Christmas time. And then when yeah. she comes and checks on him, she's the one that, you know, calls and is waiting for him in the hospital. Like you can tell there's a very real connection and like guardianship, like, okay, that'll make sense. They've explained it well enough why she cares about this person and why she would be against any new person because we already know she's pretty antisocial. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know that that guy going off on the, those those questions, it does feel a little more perfunctory rather than overtly predatory. Mm-hmm. Now, in, the, in which version? In the American version with Rumi Mara and the actor that plays her new guardian. 
Gotcha. Um, there, it, it feels a lot more like a progression into a predator, whereas the Swedish version, he comes off a lot more predatory and a lot more harsh and strict. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just my interpretation of it. Again, I think basically my summation of the American version is on a scene for scene level, it is a more competent film that is putting more thought into the less overt uh, justifications for people's actions. And that's kind of a David Fincher thing. He, cause mm-hmm. he thinks humans are weird and we're, we're <laughs> all perverse and we're all perverted. And like, that's why we all like watching terrible stories about terrible things and all that. Mm-hmm. And so he likes exploring that. Whereas the Swedish one, it's like, well, this is a scene in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> before we move away from the sexual abuse, which I would like to, but, um, Part of, of what I uncovered in Stig Larsson's kind of impetus for writing this story and, and, you know, giving it a title like Men Who Hate Women yeah. is um, Stig Larsson, when he was about 15, witnessed a gang rape of a woman and, you know, chose to say nothing ultimately about it. So, you know, his, his stories focused a lot, I think, on like, you know, Hey, this happens. Here's how it happens. You know, there's, there's a power imbalance. Like, you know, it's, it's time to address a lot of this. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, he's, he's a man with a mission to, to put forward a message and yeah, it, it hit pretty hard for me. And, you know, it was, uh, before we completely move off of it, just on the topic of sexual abuse in film, mm-hmm. For some reason, there's a really long history of Swedish filmmakers using that in their films. Uh, you hmm. have the Virgin Suicides in uh, directed by Ingmar Bergman back in the day. You have uh, Last House on the Left uh, and a few others that are like Swedish films. And they all feature like sexual abuse of women. Yeah. And it's like. It goes even so far as I watched a film in high school made by a Swedish ex- exchange student, just like a, a high school film that involves sexual abuse as part of the narrative. Huh. So it's like, there's something weird about Sweden. For all I know, <laughs> she, the, 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 that exchange student was making a reference to like the Ingmar Bergman stuff and, and all that. But right. like, I don't know, Sweden, what, what's, what's going on? Do we need to talk? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I wish I knew more about it to, you know, intelligently comment on it, but I don't. Uh, it's something to look into. I think um, I just want to say one more thing about film filmmaking in um, the, the American version of the uh, scene where Elizabeth goes to videotape him, to blackmail him, her mm-hmm. new guardian that is an abuser. The American version sets a much better feeling of looming dread. Yeah. And the, the, that cutting to the door while it's slowly pulling away is like something about that. It's just, that makes that door like a monolith of evil almost. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think David Fincher is a lot more cognizant of, 
putting what what he's doing when he's putting these acts on film, maybe more so than the Swedish. And again, I'm not Swedish, so I don't necessarily understand some of the subtleties in the language that they're using or in right. their actual, you know, interactions with one another, uh, how effective or ineffective that actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's always a language barrier and a, and a cultural barrier with foreign films that, you know, you gotta at least acknowledge, um, in this stuff. And yeah, we'll never like, we've talked, I think a little bit about like Japanese stories and language yeah. and subtlety and, you know, going back <laughs> a little bit to Hideo Kojima and kind of how there is not a whole lot. And that's like, that's a, a side effect of the language to a degree is that like Japanese language does not allow for subtlety. Things are or are not. They are, there is not a gray area to exist in. And it's mm-hmm. like, if you're trying to be subtle, it's about what you're not saying in a given conversation about a subject than what you are saying about that subject. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think like this, the very like Swedish nature of, of this story and kind of, I think a lot of the um, cultural mores that you wade into with like, Oh, you know, there's a certain politeness and privacy and maybe not a huge sense of familial warmth. Like, and maybe I'm just getting that from the family that we, you know, get all, get <laughs> to spend all our time with, with this like movie. But yeah, to I me, that was, that was a part of this like Swedishness of this movie that, that got lost in the American trend in the American translation, as I would kind of expect it to be for, for a, an American audience. Yeah. I think, now, while I do like the the American version more, uh, it is because it is made as a film in and of itself, self-contained. Mm-hmm. The girl, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, the Millennium Trilogy, as they are in film, I think that the the girl with the dragon tattoo movie is the best of the three movies. However, if you're interested in the story of those characters going forward. The only way to, to watch it is by watching Numi Rapice and uh, Michael Nyquist play those characters for another two films. And so you are interested in continuing forward. And it's kind of a shame because I'd be interested to see what David Fincher, Daniel Craig, and Rumi Mara would have done going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the interesting things with the Swedish version is they changed directors for the next film. Oh, that's that. Now that you say that, that's kind of obvious when I think back on him. Yeah, Daniel Alfredson uh, takes over directing the next two films. Uh, I'm not sure of the story behind that, but well, we know that the director likes starting pilots. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. He's like, all right, cool. I'm done. You guys finish it. <laughs> I left some, uh, you know, instructions on the counter. Um, there's a little bit of money for pizza in that drawer. So, you know, have a good time and I'll, uh, I'll see you never. Another thing I like about the American one, again, it, I said in the beginning, I, I prefer the American one, but there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of reoccurring themes that you see that don't get um, as much or any play in the Swedish version. And 
the thing when Elizabeth does something that is like her taking control, like the very next scene will be her eating a happy meal. <laughs> uh, did you notice that? I didn't, but I, I definitely recognize it now that you've brought it up. Yeah. So like there's little <laughs> things like that, that the, the movie uses the language of film to illustrate like the mental state of the, the people playing in it. Um, yeah. A scene I really enjoyed in the American one that exists in the Swedish one, but I think again, there's a little more delicacy put in it is when Michael Blomquist goes to visit uh, Elizabeth Slander for the first time at her apartment. She has taken home a girl from a club Mm -hmm. and you both see her waking up with this girl from the club in both versions. However, the American one took time to show like their kind of tryst starting and then coming back and like takes the time for Dale Craig's character to be like cognizant of like, I'm going into a girl's apartment. I'm being as open and non-threatening as possible. Whereas there's a little more like hostility in the Swedish version. Hmm. But again, that could just be a language barrier that the language is a lot more frank to begin with. Yeah. Um, The main, sorry, go ahead. And the the point I wanted to make is like, there, there's a, a little exchange, not that it matters, but it happens of the girl that, uh, Rumi Mara's Lisbeth Slander kicks out, like asks, are you okay? Like making mm-hmm. sure it's like, you're good with this guy coming into your apartment unannounced. Yeah. And it's like, yes, yeah, she is. And she makes a point to pick up her taser and all that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, shit, that, that's something that I, as a man don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. But um, again, it helps grow their relationship where it's like, he treats her like not as a child, not as a kid, he treats her as an equal or at least an adult and makes sure that he's, you know, makes her feel comfortable. Yeah. And so when she eventually chooses to sleep with him, it feels a little more natural in the uh, American version than it does just her wanting to sleep with him. It feels forced <laughs> or just like they just there in the, the, the Swedish one. Yeah. Especially like the scenes after, which I really enjoyed of Michael, like kind of thinking like, Oh, this is a thing. This is a relationship. We're going to keep going. And Elizabeth kind of treating it or Elizabeth treating it as more of like, uh, that was a thing that happened. And that, that was last night. And now we're moving on. And so like eventually, you know, it becomes a, it becomes a relationship, but also, the thing that stuck out to me in the in that same scene of Michael introducing himself to Lisbeth was like in the Swedish version, he doesn't like barge past her into the apartment. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, he sticks he sticks the the packet of Lisbeth's information on him like through the door, but he's like, you know, at least res- in my viewing of it, like at least respects her enough to not just like shoulder mm-hmm. the door open and and bust into the apartment. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if that's more of a Daniel Craig thing or uh, if that was like David Fincher or the script was written in such a way where this is what he does and he realizes maybe I shouldn't have acted like that and I'll, I'll pull it back a bit. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think there's a definite weakness in that neither of us have read the book and, and the canonical, you know, air quotes version of that event. But the hard, is- the hard canon version. <laughs> Yeah, because obviously the Swedish version and 
you know, however, however that creative team chose to envision, like chose to cut it down to a, albeit long, like they're both two and a half hours, um, how they chose to condense this into a movie, you know, and what's important and what can we change and what, you know, needs to be communicated here that we need to use movie shortcuts for it's, it's, it's a, I wish, I wish this happened with more movies where there was like, here's the American version. Here's the, you know, the international version of it, whatever country chooses to take up the, take up the yoke of having to make that movie. (laughs) You know, I, I wish there was some more stuff that we could, you know, just a B compare as far as what are American sensibilities? What are, what are some other sensibilities? But well, I mean, we have an entire other, series on this podcast about comparing remakes and there are plenty (laughs) of foreign films that got remade as american films that we could do that on all right well we should definitely organize some of those um because i i did like this comparison and yeah ultimately for me it's like a swedish story being told by swedish actors with you know swedes who maybe we're more in touch with what Stig Larsson was trying to get across in his story. Not to say that David Fincher doesn't do an amazing job because he does like both of these movies are really good yeah, for me. It, it, it rings more true in the Swedish version. Yeah. If you're, and I, I think that that makes sense. If you're wanting a full complete narrative arc from, you know, the beginning of these characters to the end of them, Definitely watch the Swedish version. But if you're looking for a self-contained story that leaves you maybe wanting more, uh, unfortunately, watch the American version. And I think that there are, to me, there's just enough of these little character moments and little paybacks and payoffs in the script writing in it that make it more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And maybe and it was just, of- and sorry to interrupt you. I just no one last point on it. Uh, maybe the reason I enjoyed it was because it was so fresh. I hadn't seen it before. This is like one of the few films I have not watched (laughs) for this podcast. Yeah. Um, And definitely I I love David Fincher's work and I love like the little subtle clues that he kind of, you know, sprinkles throughout the movies, especially like um, Martin, like getting up and, and walking away from the dinner. Because he has that that girl trapped downstairs, like you know, that was interesting. I think, like you know, I love figuring out a plot before the movie gets there. Um, couldn't do that in this movie because I watched the Swedish version first. <laughs> but you know, I I do like all that stuff. Both good movies. You know, decide which one you will. Do you want to read a movie or do you want to watch a movie? <laughs> or do you, if you speak Swedish, then which movie do you want to watch? Yeah, you may have already seen this already. Who knows? I don't. I think it was pretty big in Sweden. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Yeah. I'm big in Sweden, just so you know. <laughs> Are you? I mean, they're pretty tall. I mean, you're taller than I am. I, you know, I'm stuck looking at life from a five eight mousy boy perspective but literally my swedish friend that i have met i am almost a full head taller than him <laughs> so i'm pretty big in sweden okay but yeah i think uh that's gonna do it for us uh unless you had anything else to add uh i think i don't have anything more to add oh uh one little thing 
Joel Kinnerman, who is a Swedish actor who was in um, The Killing, the Swedish version and the American version. Hey, look at that. He plays <laughs> uh, like an extra basically in this movie, but the uh, in the American version. And it like takes time to focus on him in the two scenes he's in. <laughs> uh, American audiences might recognize him as the remake RoboCop. <laughs> or Takeshi Kovach from mm. season one of Altered Carbon. Gotcha. Some of my family got into that series recently. I'm just like, excellent. It's a a good book. I'd recommend the book over the... Anyway, we don't have to talk (laughs) about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, two great movies. I would say kind of, you know, do you want the American sensibilities? Do you want the Swedish sensibilities? Like make that decision. Watch one of them. If you really love it, watch the other. But it's, you know, five hours of movies to get through. I don't know. Watch them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go watch the mini series after this, frankly. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, we'll do it all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this. Yeah. These two movies were were super fascinating and, and I, I love the story. So, but yeah, that's going to do it for us here at the Match Cut Podcast. Again, if you want to get in touch with us, you can catch us either by email at matchcutpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at matchcut. So coming up next for uh, the Match Cut Podcast next month, we are going to be covering, covering Blade Runner 2049 versus Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 anime version of that. Not uh, the Scarlett Johansson movie. <laughs> True, not the Scarlett Johansson movie. Um, if you want to catch Blade Runner 2049 online, um, your best option right now is to rent it uh, from any of the major providers. Um, unfortunately, it's nowhere on streaming right now, legally. <clears throat> <laughs> um, if you want to catch Ghost in the Shell, you can catch it um, through Hoopla, which is a service that you can subscribe to with a valid library card where you can rent a lot of movies and ebooks. It's a great service. I would look into it, especially right now if your library offers like online signups for a library card. You do need a library card, but you know, read some books. I don't know. Uh, it's also available with ads through Vudu or Tubi or Pluto TV, all, you know broadly available if not a little sketchy Um, but that is out there to watch those are both some some pretty good uh pretty good science fiction some pretty good uh have you seen both these i have seen both of these is that a match cut first (laughs) um no not the first because i had seen tokyo drift speed racer and days of thunder all before the podcast uh, but it is very, it's, it's, it's rare. It's uncommon. Very. I think if, if you had created a drinking game and it was like Aaron <laughs> had seen both films, you would now have to finish the bottle of whatever you had. Yes. This would be a finish the drink kind of event. Um, I'm interested to revisit Blade Runner because I've gotten more into Blade Runner since watching 2049. So it, mm-hmm. as far as like reading, do androids dream of electronic sheep and listening to some other, you know, people talk about sci-fi and Blade Runner and stuff. So I'm, I'm interested to, to view it again. Ghost in the shell. I just, I love unconditionally and it's fantastic. And I've seen like the TV series and the movies. I've seen the Scarlett Johansson version. And I haven't seen that version. <laughs> it's 
the visual effects are amazing. If nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else, that movie like looks fantastic, you know, Hollywood whitewashing inside and whatever, you know, and missing maybe some of the point of what makes Ghost in the Shell good, but you know, it's a movie, you don't have time to get into it like a TV show to Who has time to ask questions about transhumanism? <laughs> like under yeah, 2049 right? does. <laughs> Who wants to upload their brain to the cloud? Imagine you upload your brain to the cloud and then it gets pulled down and stuck in a toaster. Oh, that. And then you're, you're stuck in a toaster for the that, rest of your life. That sounds like as you slowly go insane, like I, I have no mouth and I must scream kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What is your purpose? You make toast. But I was an artist. <laughs> you have settings that burn toast beyond the threshold for human consumption. Why? <laughs> you do not know. <laughs> I have no toast and I must burn. <laughs> I, so, I, yeah. think, I think that'll do it for us on the Match Cut Podcast. I've been Matt. I've been Aaron. We'll catch you next time. Buttered toast. <laughs> Oh, I miss Ed and Eddie. That's a, that's a good show.